Hello and happy Saturday, goblins! Here to talk a little D&D? Maybe learn some player secrets? We'll lay down those weapons, take off that armor. It's time to disengage. Hey everybody, welcome to the next episode of Disengaged. I have Alex here today, who plays Violet in Endless Midnight. Hello. Uh, so you've played uh, D&D for 16 years now. Which is yeah, it's a long time. <laughs> a long time. Yeah, when I think about it, it's crazy. Does uh does it affect your like everyday life now? I mean, is is it something you think about every day? Is it something that makes you view people differently and like how you approach situations or anything like that? Or do you kind of save it as your as like when I'm playing D and D as my D and D time? Like, does that make sense? <laughs> yes, I, I mean it's not something that I think about every waking moment of the day for sure. But um, it's an interesting game though. It it makes you, I think it it helps you grow. And so I think for that, I do carry it with me all the time. It's part of my identity as being this D and D player and and role playing um, gamer. Right. 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 Well, I guess, cause I asked cause um, in the little bio you sent me, you you identify yourself as a neutral good. Um, Yeah. So it seems at least that aspect, um, or maybe, you know, as you were writing your bio, you were thinking about playing D&D because that's what we're talking about. But um, I do think creating characters, um, maybe not necessarily situations, and sometimes those are so fantastical, but I mean, characters makes me think about uh, how people react to situations and um, interact with each other differently. So sometimes I think that you could you could take that into the real real world. Yeah, there are a lot of parallels. And, you know, there are all these little tests you can take to find out what your true alignment is. Right. Things like that. So <laughs> it's kind of like any other um, fun little um, tidbit of being a role player is that you always want to pull it into real life somehow. Okay. Like, what okay. would your real life character be? Right. So is neutral good what you got from a test or is that what you've identified yourself as? I feel like I identify as neutral good, you know. Um, I think I have the heart in the right place. And from from a law chaos standpoint, I do like to consider myself somewhere in the middle, like because laws can be used to oppress people, right? To um, infringe upon others. And sometimes you have to fight the laws that are in the land to create new ones, to create a new order that will work better. Uh, So, in the 16 years you've played, have you always, um, have you had to like go out and look for more content or is there just, uh, have you always just had content there for you? I mean, 16 years is a long time. It seems like you'd not run out, um, but, but need something different after a point. Yeah. So I've always kind of stumbled upon it. I, I feel <laughs> like the, As a kid growing up with the video games of the day, you know, in the 80s and 90s, it was just, hey, it's around. Hey, play some Final Fantasy, play Zelda, that kind of a thing. Right. And then I would run into a bookstore and then stumble upon some RPG book. And I'm like, oh, this looks interesting. Like whether it's the art, the binding, the cover, something that kind of draws my attention. It's like, this looks cool. This may be something I'm into. And I just continue to stumble upon these little things and that's been kind of um, my path to, to nerdum is just serendipity, I guess. <laughs> that's really nice. 
actually. Um, yeah. Okay. Uh, and you've LARPed. Yes. Um, so, and you went from D&D and cosplay to LARPing. Has, is, in your experience, um, is that the normal route to LARPing? Do some people just kind of jump into it? Oh my gosh. It, I think it runs the spectrum because I've, now that I've LARPed and an interesting story about my LARP again, serendipity is, you know, I've always been a role tabletop role player. Um, and then slowly I got into cosplay going to dragon con and things like that. And a coworker who's also a, a nerd, she's like, there is a new LARP game. You need to try it. <laughs> and I'm like, Oh no, what are you talking about? I'm not a LARPer. She's like, you are a gamer and you're cosplaying, you're basically there already. Try it out. <laughs> and sure enough, she connected me with the right people. I signed, I went in, I didn't know anyone brand new to LARPing. And you meet people that run, that have been doing it for years that started because their father was into it or their mother. Okay. That, you know, that's right. how their parents met was in a LARP. And so they just were thrust into it. Um, the game runners of that LARP, Calamity LARP, it's a, a great Western, um, it's like the supernatural meets the Wild West. And okay. th- their kids are part of the LARP. They play a ton of NPCs <laughs> and they're like really young teenagers. So it's really interesting how it just runs the gamut. In my other LARP, Dystopia Rising, I had people that joined for the first time a couple years ago, like me. And there's like, this is my first time LARPing at, you know, at 50 or 60, you know, it, wow. it, it doesn't matter the age. It's just, it draws your attention and it, um, yeah, it's, it's really interesting. It's mm. definitely made me, I think a much better role player, um, than before. Well, and that's something I was curious about is if D and D brought into, uh, something into LARPing that people who didn't play D and D and got into it, uh, is it, is there a difference there in how people approach LARPing? There, there are differences because LARPs tend to happen in real time. You know, at a table, you combat slows down because of the rules. There's so much crunch in um, a tabletop game um, that everything slows down. In a LARP, everything is happening in the moment. And so the rules are actually designed with a very simple mindset. So the simpler the rules actually makes a LARP game better. And then Mm -hmm. it lets you focus more on your character development, free from the mechanics. And so those are the two differences I think I see is LARP is definitely this role play heavy game where your tabletop games are more of like the tactical grid on the table. You know, that's... And I like to bridge the two. I like to really bring you some do, of that and that's into something it. that I I noted because uh, I mean I'd say you're you're the best um, when it comes to like the minute character details that really tell you a lot about the character. You know, it's these simple simple act, little actions that um, when you look at them, you're like, wow, that's what that's what he's saying about his character. You know, uh, I, I think you're really talented at that. Thank you. I, I, I'm right. definitely the the one that creates a whole backstory for the. <laughs> I, I really put a ton of thought into it. I know that some of my other friends, they're like, "Oh nope, I don't even really put a lot of thought into it." I do. I'm one of those. That, that's 
hey, whatever, I think whatever works to make you the best player you can be, however, you know. Yeah, I think that's awesome. And and I loved reading Violet's bio and I loved reading um, the Vexing Vault bio that you created as well. Um, I think we need to get that out there at some point, but. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So um, about Violet. Um, so just kind of in your words, why um, you wanted to play a trans character. Yeah. So it's interesting in in my gaming, um, especially more tabletop gaming, LARPing, I tend to play more characters that are more like me. It's easier okay. to get into that role, um, especially for games that are in the moment. Um, I can easily draw from things that I know. So in LARP, I tend to play more kind of characters like me. In tabletop games, I love to play characters that are very different from me or those that are similar to me but not. Because I want to, I, I still want okay. to experience kind of like human condition, and I want to experience um, maybe life from someone else's lens as best as I can without, yeah, you know, without trying. You know, I certainly don't ever want to offend anyone, and I love doing accents, and and I <laughs> always say that is like I'm butchering this accent. Please forgive me or something <laughs> like that. But, you know, so I've played a lot of different characters at the table. I've played, you know, a black woman. I've played, uh, you know, this kind of frat boy paladin that that was very tormented (laughs) with his white privilege. And, um, you know, and and in the environment, I wanted, yeah, he was definitely tormented. And, you know, I blame Strahd for that. Mm. And, with Violet, I wanted to play, um, especially with the theme that James brought into the game that was very neon, 80s, mm-hmm. you know, there's this war. And, and a lot of it kind of took me into the Eberron campaign setting of, of Keith Baker that he created. And I'm like, oh, this is kind of like a future version of Eberron. I have to play a Warforged, you know. <laughs> And to me, you know, the Warforge is such a iconic race in Eberron because they were created, but they found sentience. They found identity. And I thought that was a great way for me to introduce a character that was transgendered. You know, they were, you know, they were born kind of, they were made a certain way, but then Violet realized this is not who I really am. You yeah, know, you have to you have to change this. And being a Warforge, they could, you know, the artificers, those that made her were like, okay, the programming is not working. We need to adapt and give her a new body. And, and that's who she identified as, as okay. a female. So she male to female. And once they did that, that's the that's what took and that's what made her whole and it made her functional. Wow, um, and so from a Warforged standpoint, certainly it's different than if we were talking about a human, um, right? Because it's completely different. Warforged don't need to eat; they don't need to sleep or breathe or anything right. like that. So, um, but then that way she could, you know, continue to do her daily functions and um, be part of the story. Well, I think that's still really powerful. So I love that. Thank you for bringing Violet into this story. 
Um, on the the note of not sleeping, I I was curious about that. Um, surely you have to do something. You know, everybody has to do something to relax and get their mind away, get turn their mind off. So, um, I mean, I don't know anything about Warforged. Do they have like sleep modes, or I mean, does, is there an action? Is there a uh, something she does that turns her brain off? Just for yeah, her, in in three point five, it was different, um, and in four I didn't really play D anD D four much, but I know that in five E, the rules is they don't sleep. But they still, in order to recover, let's say, hit points, they have to mm-hmm. repair themselves. So okay. that they just tinker with themselves, make sure they do some, you know, upkeep, tune up right, for the next day. So even okay. though they're not sleeping and, and they're not, quote unquote, meditating, they're tinkering with themselves and making sure they're fully functional. Basically every day. Mm-hmm. Okay. And that would be Violet's kind of... Let me just focus on this right now. This is, is my her, moment to... Right. That would be her long rest. Okay. All right. And um, I, have you listened to um, the interview I did with Kristen yet? I did. Yes. Okay. Did The question that I'm going to ask everybody, mm-hmm. <laughs> which I think is uh, interesting in this case, because Violet was there during the war. Um, Violet has, I think, experienced an actual sunrise and actual sunset before yes she has so many um does she i mean dream of experiencing that again and if so like how would she want to experience that for the first time again yeah you know violet story really hasn't come out a lot in our episodes but for her i'm trying to avoid spoilers (laughs) because i know everything (laughs) But, you know, the one thing that sustains her is, you know, having hope. Um, That's the main thing. And especially with the NPCs of the bar, that's her, that's kind of like her family. And she wants hope for them and the community at large. So that, I think that is why with her relationship with Corinne, there may have been times of contention in the very past, right? Because that's the thing. Corinne is old, but so is Violet. You know, Violet right. is also a very old individual. Even though she's a warforged, she's been around for many, many, many years. And she does remember the time during the war. She remembers mm-hmm. what the world was like then. And there were so many these little stories that she has in her past. And... It's interesting to see her in this today and what she expects for the future and what she would like to have for the future is for it to be fixed. Right. She she has hope that this is not the end, that this, the future is not the way it is now, that it will, it will get better. Um, How that's the question. Yeah, I think that's uh, I think that what t- that's what ties like basically every character together in this campaign is their hope and then how they each want to see it manifest. Um, right. I-, I think everybody is a little hopeful except for maybe Mulligan. <laughs> so that's something I can uh, I'll probably bring up with Mulligan's interview. But uh, I-, I yeah, I think that's one of the uh, founding uh, one of the strong themes of of 
the story and, and how it all ties everybody together. So, right. uh, is there anything that, you know, we haven't talked about with Violet that you would want somebody to know about her? Um, I mean, we've touched upon a lot of things that are kind of key to her story, um, that she, she does have a heart, but I think, you know, the main thing, like I said, is she has a lot of past. She has been around a long time. She has seen a lot of things. And a lot of the times she's just kind of hovering the group. Yes. And just kind of watching them like, "Mm -hmm, that's right. Mm -hmm." (laughs) If you only knew. Yeah, exactly. Right. (laughs) Yeah. That's uh, at the same time, everybody's kind of got that hopefulness, but very different personalities. So absolutely. Violet is that one character off on the sides. Yeah. She's just like, Hmm. All right. <laughs> yeah. The one thing, you know, I, I would say is Violet cares very much about her family at the vault. Like there is a lot of history with them as well. Um, and so her role in the town is rooted in her, trying to make change, right? Help others have a new start because that's what she had to do herself. Right. Yeah. It seems Violet is, uh, you know, the whole town's the community, but Violet's probably the only character that has a, a f- specific family group. Right. And she, and she, like everything she took control and, and made it her family, right? She wasn't born into any family. Right. And I think that speaks to a lot of people also in the LGBTQ community is that Absolutely. we create families ourselves, um, whether it's because people were, you know, shunned from their family and, or you just come out and you meet a whole new group of friends and a whole new community. And so you just create that family. And that's what Violet did. You know, she sees other outcasts and she immediately takes them into the fold, almost kind of like this mom. Um, and so I think that's what I definitely would love um, the listeners to to get out of Violet is that she is looking out for the outcasts. I love that. I think that is the perfect way to end this interview with that, that note. Uh, thanks for joining me with it. Yeah. I appreciate it. No problem. Thank you for listening to Disengaged. I'm producer Erica, and I hope to catch you next time. 